Hi, Talia Lazarus here, and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today I'm joined by Tom Gaymore, a former racing driver whose life took an unexpected turn after a life-altering accident, shattering not only his dreams, but his body, his mind, and his spirit. Swapping the wheels for a microphone, Tom transitioned from racer to motorsport broadcaster across Sky Sports F1's IndyCar coverage and F1 TV. Picking up the pieces and finding new passion and purpose, Tom shares the pivotal role that mental health support played in rebuilding his life. So, join me as we journey through the life of Tom Gaymore. How are you today? I'm tired. And the reason being is I had a really busy weekend. Mm -hmm. So I came out of two events Mm -hmm. from each corner of the globe. So Japan into America. I don't have a TARDIS. We did it all from the UK. But it meant that I started at 1.30 in the morning on Sunday, finished at midday, Sunday, had a break, started again at three on Sunday and went through to 11. So doing Suzuka eight hour, two wheels mm-hmm. on, uh, well, first off and then the IndyCar, which I love, second off. So it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm getting paid to do it, but two good races as well. But now I'm at my tender age of 42 <laughs> means I'm catching up on sleep. It was your birthday recently, wasn't it? It was 24th of July. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you meant to forget it now or... <laughs> But you kind of, and everything feels like it was just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then you do the maths and you think, oh, crikey, that was 12 years ago. But everything just still feels mm-hmm. like it was a couple of years ago. Mentally, I still feel very capable, but my body has uh, has other ideas. Well, fair enough. But you know what? It's a shame you don't have a TARDIS because, you know, it would have been cool to put you forward for the next yeah. Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never watched Doctor Who, though. Not? Yeah, no. I know. That's really... And I've I never watched something out I've loud. never watched Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, you're Harry, yeah, you're a Doctor Who fan. There you go. Might be. <laughs> I'm binned off the podcast now. I'm not watching it. <laughs> Maybe someone Doctor Who fans can sign me up. Chat, we had a half an hour chat penciled in for Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, shame. <laughs> anyway, so we obviously are here not to talk mm-hmm. about Doctor Who, but to talk about you and mm-hmm. your story. Um, and what I want to do first is let you introduce yourself and kind of go back a little bit to you know where most resonates with who you are today and basically your story so it is over to you yeah so my name's tom gaymore and i am a racing driver turned mm-hmm. broadcaster i've swapped the steering wheel for the microphone and i'm incredibly privileged to have done that but it was a, a transition that didn't come without its challenges and it was forced upon me essentially in terms of the timing as well so i Went to boarding school, left boarding school at 16, went to live in France, in Le Mans, which was excellent, but you quickly find out GCSE French is not the same French that they speak in France, and or it's dramatically slowed down when you speak it over here, because obviously um, they use slang words, they speak quicker, and you very quickly have to have to learn the language i remember one of the first things i did was was ask a young lady out on a uh, an evening to go and have some dinner bowling and she brought her boyfriend so i quickly realized at that stage <laughs> that i needed to learn french and uh, and it would benefit me with with my team as well and i had a wonderful team of people uh, all french but there were one or two other international drivers out there and you know, I really, although I'd been at boarding school and you're afforded 
autonomy at boarding school and it's a, a very disciplined environment you know I really grew up in in France and actually although I would never admit it, admit at the time I didn't know all the answers I thought I did you know I wasn't short of confidence but you know looking back now I had to grow up quickly and I had to learn a lot and those were some wonderful years of my life I then spent a few more years paving a way in terms of my career and then I had an injury and that was something called a spondylolisthesis that was undiagnosed but brought on through a, an impact with with a wall and a spondylolisthesis is can you spell it <laughs> can <laughs> Don't I not, say it <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's taken me about 20 years to learn it no um, spondylolisthesis sort of a, around 20% of the world's population have a spondylolisthesis it's where the the sort of bone in your lower back doesn't form properly and you can have unilateral or bilateral but not everyone drives into brick walls at you know ridiculous speeds and what happened was that the bony union crumbled away so I had to have corrective surgery to build framework around the area that needed stabilizing had bone grafts from my pelvis which literally is and remains to this day the most painful thing I've ever experienced so they take bone they drill into your pelvis deep into your pelvis where the bone's soft and and, and take that out and try and build around the framework so that was really challenging but that for me was the easy bit it didn't feel it at the time it was what came after so you know a lot of my life at that time was shaped around rehabilitation and it was the physical rehabilitation because there's no commitment as to whether or not you can get back to doing what you love, but also whether or not you can get back to what you would class as being fully able. Mm -hmm. So being able to do all the things that, that we take for granted that, that I enjoy, tennis, running, walking. Mm. Um, it takes a huge burden on your mental health dealing with those unknowns because you are nowhere near that at the beginning so in terms of just lifting your legs up activating your hip flexors your glutes that kind of stuff being able to do stairs you just, you just nowhere near that so so you're literally learning to walk again and and build those muscle groups and and there on in was a long journey back to uh back to full fitness and i was lucky touch wood to to make a full recovery but off the back of that a prolonged mental health journey as well which is something we'll talk about I'm sure but it's not something that I'd really had any experience with and or delved into at the time I didn't know what I was feeling I didn't understand the emotions the the anxiety that was preventing me from living uh a normal life you know just walking into a restaurant and being able to do things and be comfortable I, I just couldn't do that you know I was just left with this this anxiety and sort of high functioning depression that was was really difficult to diagnose get my head around mm. and then treat because I was very much um of the opinion I could deal with it myself mm -hmm. and that was mistake number one <laughs> Well, it's interesting, isn't it, when we all think we can deal with it ourselves and yeah. when we are, you know, triggered or we mm -hmm. have anxieties and things like that. And we we don't know why, though, and it's just mm -hmm. there. It just yes. sits there, the feeling, yeah. but we don't know yeah. why until we yeah. either want to know why, we accept we need to know why, or we decide, you know what, you know, I'm going to figure this out now. And I think there's an element of 
deep down you're frightened to know why mm. because you almost have to relinquish control because what you're going to do is admit to somebody very often a stranger that you're experiencing these feelings and actually by doing that it you're incredibly vulnerable and i felt like a sense of if if i was going to become vulnerable I, I was relinquishing control mm. so i was almost hiding it lying to the professionals that could make me better and i'm sure they saw through that but just splashing my face with water and trying to, to sort of battle through and actually by battling through and trying to control it and suppress it i made it a million times worse well that's the thing isn't it we try to suppress things because <laughs> you know we're fine we're yeah, fine yeah, we'll keep suppressing yeah. it we're fine <laughs> and we keep suppressing and we keep suppressing and you know, professionals mm-hmm. or, you know, other people can see mm-hmm. that we're not fine, but yeah. we, you know, we promise them we're fine. <laughs> but you're right, the more we suppress it, the more we push it down, yeah. the more we harbor it, and then the more it, then when it does want to come out, it just, it really comes out with yeah. vengeance. Well, I remember the first time that I went to see somebody, uh, like a psychologist, and, you, and you're sort of doing the, the, the health questionnaire in, in the waiting room beforehand. And right at the bottom, it was basically, listen, if we don't think you're fit, you won't be leaving. Mm. And I remember reading that and it just made me freeze. And I I went into that meeting and I was basically just talking rubbish the whole way through it. Just trying to be, yeah, I'm fine. Do you know what? I don't even know why I'm here. You know, just a blip on the landscape, blah, blah, blah. And that was underpinned by fear. Mm. But that's the thing, fear does control Mm. a lot of our lives um, Mm. in many different ways. But then being a driver, I mean, did you have, I mean, how's fear for you being a driver then? So I think, and someone asked me this recently on a podcast, I I think everyone has fear, Mm -hmm. but drivers are in control. Although they live in that bubble, that illusion, that they are in control of everything that they're doing and you actually do believe that and things happen reasonably slowly in a racing driver's mind so when you're in the car for the untrained or the the individual who's never experienced that or someone who's sitting in the passenger seat it's hell you know you're screaming you've got your legs your legs locked out you're not in control and it's just hell when you're a racing driver it's actually pretty serene and you only ever feel the speed when you lose control. So you quickly learn to block out things that have happened to other people and you dismiss those very, very quickly and you live in this sort of bubble, this illusion that, that everything that you can do is, is controlled. We do all have fear. It's measurable in terms of where we want to take that risk. So drivers will, when it rains, or there's inclement conditions, they can't see where they're going, they will lift. And that is because they have fear. Some will lift more than others. Some may not lift at all. So it is measurable, but they do have it. And then, you know, you look at the other things. I wouldn't jump out of an aeroplane, for example. No chance. Not when I was racing, not now. If the plane's functioning, I'm not getting out of it until it's on the ground. And... There's no way I'm going parachuting or skydiving or whatever it is because I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. 
And so the fear is definitely there. It's just that you you learn to to live with that in your sort of bubble. And I guess it manifests in different ways for different people. You know, one person's scared of one thing and another one's not scared yeah. of another yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, and then what exactly happened in your accident? I mean, you've kind of brushed upon hitting a wall. But yeah, so it's, it's a good question. It's fairly innocuous. I didn't think that I'd... Because I'd had other accidents that mm. were bigger accidents, I didn't think that I'd done anything untoward. I knew I was in pain. I knew I was limited in terms of my movement, but I thought maybe I trapped a nerve, damaged a disc, or something was wrong. I just lost control, hit, hit a brick wall, nothing spectacular. Um, you get used to that. Mm. It's a bit like a boxer getting a sore nose. <laughs> you, get, you get used to crashing a car, you get used to things hurting. Mm. You know, it's not a pleasant experience. But, like I said, the undiagnosed spondylolisthesis meant that I didn't have the the strength or the bony union where I needed it. And then I was just unlucky with, with the way the force, the way the energy mm-hmm. travelled through me. You know, it affected that area. I'd had other crashes that, that hadn't uh, raised the spondylolisthesis or hadn't brought that to anyone's attention. You know, I'd never really damaged my back. So... I was just unlucky in that sense. But when, you know, more and more people go and look at the scans and less and less people come and talk to you, you think, oh, crikey, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, very quickly worked out that it was off to the operating table. (laughs) It wasn't nothing anymore. It was something, right? No. I actually felt better before than I did afterwards. Really? You know, like I said, it hurt, but it wasn't, you know, the end of the world. Yeah. After the bone graft and when I woke up, you know, in wherever they send you afterwards, it hurt a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> and then I knew something really bad had happened. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, no, now yeah. here we go. This is going to be a this is gonna be a different journey. Yeah. And I kind of felt cheated because the surgeons never, ever really go into what happens afterwards. They always just commit to this is what you need. This is what we're going to do. These are the challenges, but it'll be fine. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be right as rain. And then you wake up and you think, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm a long way from r- <laughs> right as rain right now, you know. Well, you're right, actually. It kind of hits you around the face when yeah. you um, yeah. suddenly wake up in, yeah. you know, after the operating yeah. theatre and you just wake up and you're like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. in pain. Yeah, exactly. And you can't, you just lose all your dignity because you can't do anything for yourself. Mm. You can't move. And certainly from my perspective, I couldn't move because we needed the bone graft to, to stand a chance of um, recovering. So I just lay flat. And when I mean flat, it flats, like not even a pillow on my neck. So yeah, it was, it was, it was hell. And then I had to, when I eventually got out of hospital, be in a room for months and months on end. And I did my rehab twice a day. I had people that my mum had sort of employed on a, on a relationship of goodwill to come and cook my lunch and stuff like that, which, you know, I was probably particularly cantankerous and grumpy at that stage. So I'm like, you burnt my chicken goujons. <laughs> Who even are you? And you're not coming again. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your favourite meal was, but then if I want not to. Not chicken goujons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe with like a, you know, a dash of ketchup, maybe. Yeah. 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 How are you physically doing now then? Physically, I'm okay. So again, touch wood. Um, 
there's things that I can't do, but mm-hmm. there's a huge amount that I can do. And I try and focus on everything that I can do. Mm-hmm. And I try and live in that space. Now, that's not one of those throwaway inspirational messages that people can pick up and, and run with. It took me years and years and years of A, having the confidence because you almost live like a like a fragile vase you know it you you, anything that you don't think of when you're fit but when you're in my situation that I was in then like stubbing your toe that's like a game changer you know if you're walking around the block doing one of your you know rehabilitation walks or whatever it is and I had massive cage around me and, and big sort of um like this big brace if you're doing that and you stub your toe it's like i, I don't think i'm getting home here because it just ricochets all the way up your body had the police pull me over because i was wearing a massive jacket in spring conditions but the jacket was to hide this massive cage so they'd had an issue with theft from motor vehicle so obviously i looked particularly suspicious with this massive jacket in summary conditions and, you know, hiding what turned out to be metal framework. We had a good laugh afterwards. They did offer me a lift home, but I said, no, I'm head down. I'm going to walk. <laughs> um, so there's loads of different challenges. And, you know, it took me a while to, to really have the confidence to, you know, I played volleyball recently at a friend's house now to dive around and to hit the floor and to throw yourself into the air and to, to do things. You just can't do that at the beginning. It takes you so uh, long to, to be able to do that physically. And then when you can do it, you've got to learn to do it because you're so restricted in your mind. You know, I got back into a race car. I was in a controlled environment. I was okay. But just doing things that, you take for granted because the first time I did it, I actually did jump in the air, hyperextended, and had a stress fracture on one of my vertebrae where, where the metal had, had hit the vertebrae where I hyperextended. So, and that's agony then. It's yeah. like having you know, a knife stuck in the back of you. Just That stress fracture is really painful. So, yeah, I'm getting there. And I'm in a good space now. But yeah, I do all kinds of different things. Mountain biking, jet skiing, you name it. I've been in an offshore powerboat. They said, if anything has happened to your back, don't do it. And I said, no, we're going for it. So you learn just to throw caution to the wind sometimes. Take those measurable risks and just try and live your life again. And take care of yourself. So I have to, you know, I'll spend time in the car today. I will go back and lie on my floor in my lounge and work through a range of exercises and do stuff. And I do that religiously and I try and strengthen the area as much as possible when I'm training as well, because it's, you know, you're, you're paving the way for a better life. Um, maybe not just now, but, but later as well. I liked when you um, described it as being a fragile vase. (laughs) I've never heard someone describe it that way. And I was like, he is so right. Yeah. 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 You are scared to do anything. And anybody that comes near you, so let's say you just walk into a busy shop, 
you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything's happening really quickly and people are walking near me. <laughs> Just everyone's back up. Yeah, yeah. especially know. if you don't have, you know, I yeah. when I had my crutches and yeah, my yeah. knee brace, when that yeah. was all taken away, it was like, it's like, you know, yeah. being out on, in the car for the first time. Yeah, you're not yeah. a learner anymore. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do people not yeah. know this is new <laughs> yeah, to me again? Exactly, like, yeah. stay back. Like, stay back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. Oh, it's a really interesting way to put it. And you're right. It's, you have to relearn to do things. You feel that, really brittle. Mm. You don't feel like you can bounce or mm. and or do anything that might compromise that area. Yeah. You are and you're relearning things mm. that you once just, yeah. you know, you yeah. just did. And you don't really, you know, let's say you, for example, just, I don't know, jumping off a little, little step or something like that. Mm-hmm. You, you're so far away from being able to do that physically and mentally mm. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it something that you wouldn't even have ever thought of. Mm-hmm now is something that fills you trepidation that you actually have to think about. Can I, can't I? Yeah. I have a video of me at my physio um, and I had to do my first box mm-hmm. jump. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was probably, I can't remember how high, but not very high. He even put a little step <laughs> yeah. on for yeah. me to step onto, then to yeah. jump onto the box. Yeah. And I've got the video yeah. of the first time I'm doing it and yeah. I can see the yeah. fear yeah. in my yeah. eyes. I'm laughing yeah. Yeah. and I'm laughing to the camera while my physio is yeah. videoing it. And I have the fear yeah. in my yeah. eyes, yeah. like, and I'm like swinging yeah. my arms yeah. like, really? Yeah. And I get like, yeah. and I, it was, I mean, I'd done box jumps loads before. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I was terrified yeah, of jumping onto yeah. a box. Yeah. Speed bumps was a big one for me. My mm. granddad used to come and pick me up because he was retired and could. And then he would just, drive like you know grandparents do i'm not saying anymore to the gym or my rehab and we're hitting speed bumps like whoa 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 what are you doing <laughs> like, literally I'm, you know i was just petrified of speed bumps yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting what you do you start yeah. to kind of i i sometimes get worried when it's wet out yeah i mean yeah. i get worried i'm gonna slip if just you, walking down yeah, the street i get worried being through that prolonged journey mm. you don't want to ever go back there mm-hmm. and anything that threatens <laughs> that you are mindful of yeah you are you just become very aware yeah. of your surroundings even more than but you do become less sensitized you know become desensitized mm-hmm. but but it does you know i'm 15 16 17 years in but you mm-hmm. you know it, it, it's a good seven years before you and oh great! Yeah, I got five more years. Thanks. Only two. Great. We're doing well for two years. Thanks. Yeah. I'll think of you in five, and I'll be like, "There we go. Here yeah. we go." <laughs> I'll send you a message. Be like, "There you go. I've done it." <laughs> Seven years in. Um, and obviously, you said that it affected your mental health, and that was a journey in itself. Um, and like we were saying before, um, actually before you came on, that when you do go through a physical injury or an accident, it's not just a physical recovery. Sometimes probably more times than not it's actually more a mental recovery how was that for you it's amazing how and i do a little bit of informal work with other people that have had injuries i'm a trustee at the national police rehabilitation center so police officers who have been stabbed on duty or had car crashes or whatever it is and a lot of them are very young young in service and you see very quickly people walking into some of the mistakes that you did when you went through your uh, trauma, injury, rehab. And you can never stop people from doing that, but you can open up and share your story and hope that it can resonate with people. There's one particular person who's been through a lot. And, you know, when I first sort of 
started to talk about my journey, you could see that they were looking at me as though I had sort of five heads. Yeah, okay, mate, you know, that's not going to happen to me. I just need to get this fixed and away we go. And you know that that's very much how I dealt with it, but it doesn't work. And lo and behold, you know, a year later, now they're showing the signs of that complex PTSD and the trauma and also the the other issues that rehabilitation bring with it is is very solitary that you know it's like solitary confinement if you like you, you're cut off from your lifelines from your friends from the things the activities that you do to 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 have a healthy lifestyle and just missing those is a challenge in itself never mind dealing with the unknowns around will you a ever recover Will you be, go back to what it is you love? So for me, it was racing. For, you know, these people, it's policing. You know, will you be able to do the thing that you've wanted to do since you were, you know, that high? That's a lot of pressure. That's, that's a lot of unknown. And unknowns are really difficult to, to cope with and or manage. So you do see a lot of people embarking on their physical journey still unsighted on what might come down the line and that's fine because you can't ever have a safety net to catch people but what you can be is there for them when those words that you spoke to them at the beginning start to resonate with them later down the line and for me you know I made a lot of mistakes so I don't ever tell people what to do I don't ever prescribe what is right or wrong, but I open up and share my story because people can then, A, resonate with it, and that gives people confidence. Gave me a huge amount of confidence when I met other people that were going through, were feeling the things that I was feeling and going through the things that I was feeling. Much more confidence than it gave me going to see a medical professional who was a stranger to me, who hadn't gone through what I was going through. You know, when I went, and experience that peer-to-peer -peer support, that was the catalyst for, for things getting better. So, you know, I, I definitely try and spend time with people that are going through that and just help them see some of the things that I did and whether or not that helps them. But then if they're ready, talk to them about whatever works for them, what's their way. I I did some weird and wonderful things to try and to try and move forward. But the, the greatest thing for me was actually talking, and that sounds cliche, but it was talking to people who had been there and done it across other sports for me because that was my environment. And I was invited into a trusted space to, to listen to other people. But, you know, I was speaking recently to someone who was in the US Army, an intelligence officer who was dealing with coming back and living as a civilian, having been deep in enemy lines for prolonged periods of time. And that sort of irrational anxiety and fear that he gets from being in busy spaces, you know, it's very similar to, to the irrational uh, anxiety and fear that, that I was experiencing when I was in busy spaces, be it an airport, a restaurant, plane, anything, whatever it is. But for very different reasons. But we come together because we share the same symptoms the same experience you know we can we can compare notes we can 
become friends and, and talk and you know I think that that power that by sharing that that sort of strength in numbers and, and that sort of camaraderie and and, and you know that those, those new lenses that you develop from just listening to you know I'd love to sit and listen to you and and, and know what you did and you know that doesn't mean I copy you but I can pick up and take one or two things and and try and put them into to place in my life the thing is a lot of people I think we were saying before a lot of people they won't always share they won't always talk but also they don't accept and I think you you mentioned something about when someone's ready to accept or you know ready to talk about it and I think that's the thing as well is not a lot of people are ready so that's why they say i'm fine it's a wonderful point i think for me i had to hit rock bottom and my rock bottom was my manager at the time had arranged for me to get back in the car i've been back in a car a few times in the uk but i was massively struggling but no one knew i became a wonderful actor so you know i was going to circuits in the uk and 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 literally having to pull over in service stations and 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 not know if if i can continue the journey and you know, I'd stay awake all night because I just felt so anxious in a, in a hotel room away from home. And then I'd get in a race car and drive at 150, 160 miles an hour and feel absolutely fine, which is a complete oxymoron because where's the threat in a hotel room <laughs> to driving at 150, 160? But I felt in control. And, mm. and actually, through all of this, I felt very vulnerable off the back of what I experienced. And my rock bottom was I'd booked flights to go to America to test the race car in Houston. My manager at the time who had worked hard to get on their books because they were a kingmaker, if you like, could create opportunity, had arranged this. I didn't know the manager very well, but you know, fairly big fish in the industry. I got to the airport and I couldn't get on the plane you know I was just paralyzed with fear and I remember someone looking at me and they were like well you don't look like you're having a panic attack and I'm like well what do you want me to do you know like rip all my clothes off and run around screaming you know what what is a panic you know I'm I'm just a quite a reserved and controlled person right now so you know it might not look as though I'm having a panic attack but I can tell you now I just need to get out of here and and I was just paralyzed with fear and I remember getting in a taxi and sitting in rush hour traffic because it's always a morning flight at Heathrow and the rush hour traffic around it. And no one knew. No one knew I wasn't on that plane. And I felt like my whole world had caved in. I had the weight of the world on my shoulder. How am I going to tell my partner at the time, my parents, my manager, how am I going to tell them that I'm now in a taxi basically in tears, unable to get on that plane? Because A, it's embarrassing and B, what's happening? You know, I was petrified. You know, this is someone who has flown all over the world, been at boarding school since they were 12, you know, lived in foreign countries. You know, what is going on here? Um, and that was my rock bottom. And that was the catalyst to get the help that I needed just because I, there was no way out. There was no opportunity to splash your face with water and say, I've got this because... I clearly hadn't, and it, it got to the stage where I couldn't function mm. properly. And so when you talk about being ready, that's key. 
and I think I didn't explain myself well before when I said, you know, people will get further down the line and then they will talk. It's because they're not ready, mm -hmm. because they haven't had that moment yet where it's just rock bottom for them. And that's what I always find so fascinating about every single one of us, every human, is that I'd say probably most of the time it's only when we get to rock bottom, mm. how, whatever it is, mm. you know, everyone's rock bottom is very different, but when we get to rock bottom and we realise we, 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 we're not okay and we yeah. can't do this on our own yeah. anymore is when we're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, okay. yeah. Okay, this is... And it's this so is... weird letting other people in. And then, and then, yeah. so you get to yeah. rock bottom and then you realise, okay, I'm at rock bottom yeah. and then you're like, oh, now yeah. I need yeah. to talk to yeah. people and I need yeah. to like tell them that my emotions yeah. and my thoughts and... You know, it's yeah. that's a whole different challenge then in Definitely. itself. And I had the emotional intelligence of a stone because I was still living through an era where actually mental health had a stigma attached to it. And I'd been to boarding school. I'd been away. I was in a solitary sport. I'd done everything by myself from such a young age that actually, you know, putting my hand up and saying I need help was really alien. But that's the thing, isn't it? And it's, I mean, that's the thing. You obviously got to rock bottom and that's when the hand went up and was like, yeah. okay, this is new, but I clearly need it. And I think once you start to find other people, because certainly, and it's still the case, you know, men don't necessarily talk about it. But as soon as I start talking about it, people will talk about it. You know, I did a, a Zoom call not so long ago where I was telling my story and one individual got into contact three days later saying listen I was on this Zoom call everything you said resonates with me didn't want to say it at the time but can we chat and just by sharing your story you provide that trusted space because we always say oh people have got to speak out people have got to speak out and it, it's rubbish that I think the message should be we need to provide trusted spaces because when people feel there's a trusted space they will speak out just telling people to speak out it, it's it, it's an easy win you know people just aren't going to listen to that you know because people don't speak out and so that rhetoric i think if we could create more trusted spaces for people to speak out then it might have more weight and i still think societies make great strides with mental health and the stigma around it but it's the employers now the the industries that need to do more because still in sport or whatever it is, whether or not you're a police officer, for example, and you want to push up and become a firearm, whatever it is, there's still a stigma attached around mental health and, you know, on job applications or whatever it is, people still ask, you know, ha uh, in, in basic questions around mental health. They don't ask, have you damaged your knee playing tennis recently? Well, yes, actually, I've had an ACL injury, you know, but they'll ask, you know, have you had, you know, any mental health treatment? What, what's the difference? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it's an injury based off of an experience. So whether or not you fall off a wall and injure your knee or you fall off a wall, injure your knee, spend time off work and then have, uh, have a few challenges that you need to, to discuss and, and talk through. What, what's the difference? There isn't one, as far as I'm concerned. So I still think employers are holding us back a little bit with that, with that work. Well, I agree. I agree with the. It's it's still an injury of sorts, and yeah. you know what? Why is it any different to 
something physical, of course. Mm. And then your mental health journey is did it come from the operations and the accidents? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I lived in a pressurized environment, so I sort of feared failure and you know some of the other challenges that athletes go through you know it it can be difficult at times but certainly my mental health journey was off the back of my accident there was other things going on at the time that I've not mentioned my mum had a brain hemorrhage my dad had cancer you know big pillars if you like if I look back at it so just everything together it all came at once. And I think life has a habit of doing that to people. When you're on your knees, it's really difficult to, to, to sort of stop the blows. They just keep coming. So, you know, I'm really tight with my mum. But my mum, you know, she was in a coma for three months. So she's been through a more invasive rehabilitation uh, program than me in terms of time and you know, but for a long time, it didn't look like she was ever going to wake up. So, you know, that was really hard because I was still going through my rehab. So my sort of one ally, if you like, the person I had the strongest bond with is now lying in hospital in a coma. Um, you know, that was hard. My coping mechanism is to, to just deal with it. I'm not very good at, I don't want, and I'm working on this, I didn't want people to sort of feel sorry for me. Or I didn't want people to sort of counsel me or do anything. I, I, I wanted solutions. And my way of dealing with things is just to, right, we need a solution. We need to fix this. And that is why my world fell down. Because actually, you can't control life like that. Mm. And that's why I felt out of control. And that's why I felt vulnerable. Because for the first time in my life, I couldn't just fix things like you can ordinarily you know if you need to get a bit fitter you just work a bit harder in the gym or if you you know you you need a bit more money you get a second job or you know you 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 have an element of control where you can push forward here you're just lying in a hospital bed going well what's going to happen or my mum is lying unconscious you know I can't I've not got a magic wand I can't do anything so I think that had a massive effect on me and my personality type and the way I coped with things didn't uh, give me the toolkit that I needed to, to really move through those situations. Do you find that you have the tools now? I'm learning. Life's one big journey, isn't mm, it? Yeah, you so, never stop learning. So uh, so I just keep making mistake after mistake, and that's where the that's most the valuable... <laughs> <laughs> like, but, oh, here I go yeah, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But be brave enough to make those mistakes, and then you can reflect and, and, and learn. But the, the, the some times people forget to reflect that that's imperative so you know reflect and then be brave enough to try something else doesn't matter if it's right or wrong reflect they all say you win or learn Mm -hmm. so you know I'm still learning a huge amount about myself I'm particularly interested in people now I'm fascinated in people so the human under the performer so we do loads of work developing the performer whether or not that's at school whether or not that's in the workplace whether or not that's in sport that there's so much training around the performer but there's no training to enhance the human being that's underneath the performer 
So you could have the greatest tech and tech toolkit in the world for whatever it is that you want to be doing, being a pilot, racing driver, gymnast, you know, a marketeer, whatever it is. But you need the, the human toolkit to be able to cope with everything that comes your way. And you will never, ever be able to perform in the moment unless you have that human toolkit. And I'm fascinated as to why that's just not part of our curriculum or, you know, where's the personal development? I'm always talking about personal development. Everyone that looks at me like, you know, what's he talking about now? Excuse my language. <laughs> what's he talking about now? <laughs> but it's like the personal development. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to be able to teach people. Uh, you know, I use policing again as an example. They go into the most sort of mm -hmm. fraught and traumatic of situations, but they kind of need to be able to implement their training. And the only way they can implement that, their training is by sort of regulating their emotions, that kind of stuff. And, and, and you need personal development in order to do that. Well, we all function so differently. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. We're not taught really how to be a human. No. And we all, you know, all our upbringings are different. Yeah. All our educations yeah. are different. All our lives yeah. are different. And even though they cross paths here, yeah. there, you know, everything intertwines occasionally. Yeah. We all end up very different. Yeah. yeah. And yet no one really teaches us how to no, deal with it. No. So actually you you were spot yeah. on. You know, you can have all the tools, yeah, yeah. all the education, yeah, all yeah. the qualifications to be a yeah, pilot, yeah. to be a driver, to be a marketeer, yeah, a gymnast. Yeah. But if the human yeah. underneath just yeah. hasn't quite got it yeah. together, yeah. I think you'll only get so far. Exactly that. Because actually we're conditioned to, to, to just sort of step in line, go with the flow. Mm. And we're almost pushed through education and then into you know jobs that that we've been made aware of it's like a hornby train set you know it's just one train after the other and then all of a sudden your train derails <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what do i do now and everyone's going past you you know and you're just like, great how do i deal with this <laughs> no one's taught you <laughs> you're right you just watch it and you're like oh well, yeah. why is this one well, happened to me how do i get this back on track yeah you know? how exactly and yeah. no one's taught you that bit. no 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 one's so, taught you yeah. you kind of a lot of people just learn you you, yeah. you learn you 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 when you look back how, however you did things whatever you mm -hmm. did for whatever reason you did mm. what you thought was best to survive in yeah. that moment, and whether have, it were right or wrong. You have no choice because, you know, someone said to me, having listened to my story, ah, oh, I couldn't do that tomorrow. And I said, well, I couldn't do it tomorrow either. And they're like, well, what do you mean? You've already done it. And I'm like, no, no, no. You have no choice at the time. Mm. But could I do it tomorrow? No, because you're not conditioned to mm. be able to, to do it. I'd find a way, mm. but, you know, it's unhealthy to live your life constantly thinking how you deal with you know various negative things but but yeah it's hard like you know look look at what you've been through you know someone said you're going to go through that you're like well i can't cope with that you're kidding me but actually you find a way because you're in the situation mm. yeah i remember i mean i was 25 when i had my knee surgery and i was like oh my god i'm 25 <laughs> i'm having yeah. knee surgery yeah. Yeah. and i was like yeah. No, yeah. this is not what 25 yeah. year olds do. Yeah. So yeah, had you have told me in my even early 20s yeah. or late teens that by the way, when you're 25, you're having double knee surgery. <laughs> no, yeah, can yeah, I wait yeah. till older, yeah. please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there I was, I was 25 yeah. having knee surgery. And everyone off, you know, everyone else is off. You know, their life might be really picking up and mm. moving quickly and you feel like you're, you know, you're stuck. So yeah, really challenging that side of things. And it's not for me the physical 
side it's what comes after yeah no i agree with you how are you how are you doing now yeah i'm in a good space now i regulate what it is i want from life so you know i'm very easily pleased now in terms of my remit is to stay in the present Mm. so we tend to either be in the past or the future Mm -hmm. when we're in the future we're anxious when we're in the past with the press generically really hard to be in the present so i try and you know it's today was the tomorrow that i worried about yesterday not to worry the day away um it's like a tongue twister that yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) don't ask me to repeat it exactly so being in the present is is really important for me Mm. and 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 just cherishing what i have whatever it is so the easiest way given who i am and this is not one rule fits all this is just for me is to bring myself out of the future you know i was predominantly in the future and that meant that i worried all the time about outcome about so many different things whereas now if i can just be in the present i i don't worry so much about those bigger things that allows me to have more space on my plate to cope with the small detail the everyday detail Mm. so because my plate's not full i can fit the everyday detail on i can cope with things I have a good understanding of self and yeah, I don't want for much. I just want to be in the present and, and enjoy enjoy what I have. I think what you said is also a really important point to note is that it's not one size fits all. Yeah. And just because one person's doing yeah. it, it might not fit for you. Yeah. And that can literally be your best friend. Definitely. And it's I that's why I'm fascinated in people. I, I love listening to other people, but I don't pick up everything that they do but you might pick up one or two things that that you resonate with and or you might not resonate with it, but you might want to try it and it's having the courage to try it, but knowing that you've got to put your stamp on it. You've got to find out what's the, you know, what's going to make you tick. How do you be the best that you can be? Mm. Well, exactly. your way. Yeah. How do you, how do Mm. you make it your Mm. way? Exactly. How do you tailor it to Mm. who you are? Mm. Because like we said, your ways can be very different yeah, yeah. to even your yeah, sibling. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and it, that's what's really fascinating. But it's an important thing to know because I think a lot of people do think, well, if it's working for them, why is it not yeah, working? And they yeah. get, then they get frustrated. And definitely. And also, we want something that we can quickly grab off the shelf, mm-hmm. plug in, and go. And actually, it doesn't work like that. You know, mm-hmm. as we've, touched on already it's a prolonged journey it's a timely journey and it's a a journey of exploration that that will never ever be over it's you know just moving progress Mm. well that's exactly that isn't Mm. it it doesn't just there really Mm. isn't just a magic spell that happens overnight Mm. you kind of have to once you rip the band-aid off it's you know wounds don't heal you know physical wounds when you scab your knee it doesn't heal overnight that's kind of what happens and I think the other thing that's worth touching on is a lot of the time we're trying to get back to who we were. Mm. And I think that held me back. Mm. I'm not going to say it holds people back. It held me back because I'll never get back to who I was. I'm on a different journey. I'm learning to manage my situation, cherish what I have, be in the present, learn from my mistakes. Physically, I can do a lot, but I can't do everything. 
So it's about embracing who I am now and loving who I am now. Because if you just spend your whole life looking back, comparing yourself to who you were, I think that's a really unhealthy space to be in. And, and we do it all as a default. <laughs> as soon as you wake up from your operation, you're like, I need to be back to where I was. Mm-hmm. Actually, how's about we look through another lens and go, well, we're going to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. We're going to look forwards and we're going to make you the best version of who you can be now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to love that. Do you feel like there's like a new you and an old you? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to be a better person now. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of taking. I'm doing much more giving now. (laughs) (laughs) It is really interesting when you do look back at the old you or the past you, however people want to put it. It can feel like two different lives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, we talked on a different topic when you first work in broadcasting or you do your first ever piece to camera and you look back at it years later and you're like oh my word (laughs) you know I kind of look back at how I was younger and I'm like oh my word that's not great (laughs) that's quite a nice comparison (laughs) there (laughs) you're right well well, because you're always learning you never stop you're always evolving you're always changing I got rid of the highlights as well (laughs) oh yeah yeah what did it used to be like yeah you know Jason Donovan (laughs) 90s highlights I can it? see it yeah, you have yeah. the Jason Donovan quiff oh, yeah. I look like a Lego <laughs> man but I've still got the same quiff just no blonde highlights Ah, you yeah. should try it again yeah, sometime yeah. no <laughs> put in some whatever the lemon juice yeah lemon in the sun yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's what I was yeah, taught yeah yeah <laughs> does it work yeah. I don't know yeah. but we've tried it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well then why why how when mm. did you swap then you know the wheels to the microphone I was given an opportunity, I needed a second career. Mm -hmm. That was really evident off the back of not being able to drive again. I lost too much career momentum, wasn't in the right space, was learning to work with my mental health journey, was given an opportunity to to go broadcasting and you know, I've never looked back and that was that was a wonderful opportunity. I did go and get a proper job for a bit and I realised that was too much of that hard work. And then and actually that was through petulance because I found it really hard to walk away from a career that I wasn't ready to walk away from. So watching other people, my friends, do it, and I wasn't able to do it, was hard. So it's a bit like falling in love with someone and then that person walking away with your best friend or something. You've got to be around that every day. It's like, this is just not great. Mm. Um, Or suboptimal, as engineers would say. (laughs) So I went and got a proper job because I just couldn't be around motorsport. Came back after six months and realised... Motorsport's my family, it's what I know, it's what I love. And I've still got so much that I can achieve in sport, just not with a steering wheel in my hand. And so there began my broadcasting journey. I've been incredibly lucky. I've done the Olympics, I've done the Indy 500, I've worked in Formula One and IndyCar, Le Mans, you know, the, the Monaco Grand Prix. I've done all the Blue Ribbon events. You know, if I just stopped today, I can look back and say, wow, that was amazing. Mm. And, you know, I'm really proud to have done all of those things. And I'm incredibly lucky. And it doesn't feel like a proper job. Although I said at the beginning of the show, I'm really tired. (laughs) You know, at the end of the day, I'm getting paid to talk about Mm. cars going around in a circle. And, you know, I'll be watching that anyway. So, you know, very, very fortunate and love what I do. And do try and do other things as well because you learn a a new skill set you 
are all of a sudden not in the pit lane, you're in a TV compound, you learn new friends, you have new colleagues. Um, it's a different industry, it's a huge industry. Just look at what you're doing now. Um, yeah, so there's still lots to discover, lots to do, but I'm enjoying it at the moment. There's lots of exciting things ahead then. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't look too far ahead. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm enjoying this. Mm-hmm. Well, the yeah, yeah. No, well, just follow the journey. Yeah, just follow yeah, the yeah, path. Yeah, you know, yeah, look towards that. Don't yeah. look, you know, no point looking yeah. in the rear view mirror. Do you mirror. know what? I actually don't want for for much, as I said. You know, if you look at what I've achieved, I'm incredibly lucky to have done those things. I don't need to lie awake at night and, you know, what's next, what's mm. next, what's next? Because that's what you do as an athlete, as a racing driver. Mm. You know, you win a race, it's like, I've got to win another one. You, you know, it becomes this infectious sort of um, addiction to to what comes next. And it wasn't healthy for me. So, you know, try and be a lot more healthy now in terms of the future and, and just celebrate what you've got, enjoy what you've got and, and, and just keep doing it really. You know, like I love the IndyCar at the moment. Um, Sky's IndyCar and their commitment to IndyCar is awesome. The American way of doing sport is just phenomenal. Mm. And so I'm loving that. Good, good. So then with all of that in mind, what advice would you give to somebody that they have just had to stop Mm. doing Mm. the thing that they love, for whatever Mm. the thing they love is, and they don't want to go back into it? Like you said, you know, it was like, being in love and watching your best friend yeah, you know yeah, walk yeah. away with them but that's what they're yeah. kind of going through in their industry their sport yeah. whatever it is and they they that but that's what they love that yeah. thing they love but they can't bring themselves to do it what what would you say to them i think you, you've got to to break it down and you've got to to look at your decision making and try and strip some of the emotion out of that and to ask yourselves what it really is you want to do. What makes you tick? Who are you? Does what you do define you? Do you love that space? If you do, there's so much opportunity in and around whatever industry it is. You get pigeonholed into where you were and you have the blinkers on. But actually, if you can take a step back, if you can like I say, take the emotion out, look through a different lens. There's always something there that you can, you know, for me, for example, I always wanted to get to Formula One. I got to Formula One. I just wasn't driving a car. Mm. But who cares? I got to Formula One, I realised my dream. So, you know, you've just got to reframe it if you can. And stripping back the emotion definitely helps. It's a nice way of putting it. It's putting it into perspective. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know, you still have the same dream, but yeah. there's a different opportunity and the exactly. world is full of opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just don't know where the next one lies. Otherwise, you'd be there now. You're very right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. But that's the kind of the exciting thing is, y- yeah. yes, being yeah. in the present, but you also yeah. don't know what yeah. tomorrow or this afternoon yeah. or an hour brings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today? No, I think you've been a wonderful host. Thank you. So you've drawn lots of information out <laughs> of me. So for me, you know, like I said, I'm fascinated by people, fascinated by mental health. And just if I say one thing to anyone, it's a, you know, if you listen to this and you want to talk, people will listen. I don't know where you've trusted 
space will be. I don't know where you feel trusted, but step into that and talk because it'll be the greatest thing that you do and you will begin a journey that you will look back on and think, I'm really pleased I did that. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. As we wrap up today's episode, we're reminded that the road to Formula One isn't always driven by a racing car. Tom's journey showcases the power of reframing dreams and finding different opportunities within the same passion. So this week, think about how you might be holding yourself back. Do you desire to return to who you once were instead of embracing the exploration of who you are becoming? Each twist and turn in life is an opportunity for discovery. Each detour can be a scenic route to success. And don't forget to raise your hand for help along the way. So stay tuned for more incredible stories and thank you for joining us. Until next time, embrace the unexpected. The journey is often more enlightening than the destination. And remember, you have the power to get back up.